Hi folks. In this bonus episode, we teamed up with a really awesome podcast out in Manitoba called Grain on the Brain. You should check them out at the Pivot and Grow website. Before we jump into this episode about a $300 million investment into climate-friendly agriculture, I have a small favor to ask. We're trying to assess the impact of rural roots to climate solutions, and we need to hear from you to do it. If you go to the website, so www.rr2cs.ca, and you scroll halfway down our homepage, you'll see what looks like a photo slideshow there. One of the slides has a link to the impact survey. So click on the button, and it takes about 15, maybe 10 minutes to fill out the Rural Roots of Climate Solutions impact survey. It would mean a lot to us if you could do this. So please let us know what you think about what we're doing out here in Alberta, empowering farmers and ranchers with climate solutions. Welcome to Grain on the Brain, a podcast started by the Prairie Organic Grain Initiative and now hosted by the Manitoba Organic Alliance. We're working to create resiliency and stability in the prairie organic grain sector. Our host is Scott Beaton, who operates a 640-acre organic farm in Manitoba. Tune in as each episode Scott talks to researchers, farmers, and other experts in the organic sector to discuss important issues in organic grain farming. Check out our website at manitobaorganicalliance.com for resources, tools, and the expertise you need to get you growing. You can connect with us on Twitter at Manitoba Organic or come meet us at one of the events that we host. Today we have a collaborative podcast episode with Grain on the Brain and the Rural Roots for Climate Solutions. We're both members of Farmers for Climate Solutions. Rural Roots was one of the founding members and the Manitoba Organic Alliance has just recently joined. Since some of you listening won't be familiar with the other podcast, here's a brief intro for each of us. I'm Karen Clausen, and I'm the producer of Grain on the Brain podcast. It started out as a joint initiative from all the organic organizations across the prairies. Our podcast is made for organic grain farmers and anyone else who's interested in applying organic, agroecological, or regenerative farming practices on their farm. All right, over to you, Derek. Hi, my name is Derek Leahy. I'm the host of the Rural Roots to Climate Solutions podcast. We're based out in Alberta. Our podcast is all about the farm solutions that are good for the farm and good for the climate. Karen, could you please state your name, where you live, and what you do for farmers for climate solutions? My name is Karen Ross. I'm the director of Farmers for Climate Solutions. I'm based here in the Laurentians in Quebec, halfway between Ottawa and Montreal. Can you just tell us a little bit about Farmers for Climate Solutions, like what it is, who's involved, any notable successes to date? Yeah, so Farmers for Climate Solutions is a farmer-led coalition across Canada. Um, it's led by farmers who know that agriculture can be part of Canada's climate solution. And we're particularly interested in working with the federal government to advance policies that help our sector reduce emissions and build resilience. So we represent all types, scales, and regions of production uh, from coast to coast. Our membership is comprised of 20 member organizations at this point, and together we represent well over 20,000 farmers across Canada. 
uh, we launched back in February of last year. So we're just about one year old and we've been growing pretty quickly. You know, even our even our growth itself, I think, is one of our successes. Uh, you know, ha- we've been able to create a kind of pan-Canadian movement and conversation by farmers to farmers to engage with many more farmers about, you know, what the potential is of climate-friendly farming in Canada. And through this process, we've also, you know, worked quite closely with decision makers in Ottawa, having lots of meetings with, you know, different ministers in the cabinet, uh, with the deputy prime minister's office, and even with the prime minister's office. And perhaps one of our biggest successes as a coalition to date um, was, uh, you know, among others, advocating for a new mandate at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, you know, so never before has our Minister of Agriculture had a mandate that includes um, support for farmers to reduce emissions and build resilience. And in uh, Prime Minister Trudeau's speech from the throne back in September, he made a mention of this, a vision that he thought that this was important for Canada. And then finally, we saw it secured in a new supplementary mandate letter, uh, which is essentially the job description for the Minister of Agriculture in January of this year. Um, just before I ask you, what is climate-friendly agriculture? Uh, if a farmer or rancher anywhere in Canada wants to get involved in Farmers for Climate Solutions, how does that work? Like, How can they contribute and how can they get involved? Oh, that's a good question. So I'd encourage anybody, first of all, to head over to our website, farmersforclimatesolutions.ca. There's a tab where, well, there's lots of tabs. Some of them you can learn more about kind of the current work we're doing, what kinds of policies we're advancing in Ottawa. We'd love to hear your feedback. So you can you can also take action, uh, kind of join our movement as well. So so we have a pledge you can sign um, if you're a farmer or if you're a non-farmer, saying that you too think that farmers can be part of Canada's climate solution. Um, and don't hesitate to get in touch. So uh, directly, if you want to get in touch with me, uh, you can find my email on the website as well. If you know any of our member organizations like Karen Clausen at Manitoba Organic Alliance or uh, Derek at Rural Roots to Climate Solutions, you can also reach out to them uh, to, to ask some more questions uh, from folks within your region. So climate-friendly agriculture, it's I, I, a relatively new term, I, I'd argue. You know, a lot of other terms are out there like regenerative agriculture, sustainable agriculture, agroecology. What is climate-friendly agriculture? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. And I think you're right. It's kind of a crowded environment. There's lots of different terms. But I think what we mean by climate-friendly agriculture probably encompasses all those things that you just said. You know, really for us, climate-friendly agriculture, it first of all, isn't the same across all types, all sectors, all regions of production, you know, what works on one farm to reduce emissions and build resilience might not work on another. So um, it's not like a, it's not necessarily a, a set list of practices that every farm in Canada needs to adopt. But for us, when we're talking about climate friendly farming, it's really all about prioritizing uh, practices that, that help to reduce emissions on farm and also, you know, build resilience to increasingly severe climate impacts in Canada, things like floods and droughts, for instance. Hmm. Could you cite maybe an example or two of what you would consider a climate friendly farming practice? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, some of the climate friendly farming practices that we're currently 
talking a fair bit about in terms of our proposals to the government are things like cover cropping, uh, rotational grazing, um, improved nitrogen management. Um, you know, all of these practices um, help to reduce emissions, uh, things like nitrous oxide, just as an example, um, but also help to sequester carbon in our soils. Awesome. Thanks, Karen. Okay, let's uh, jump into the report. So Farmers for Climate Solutions released a report called A Down Payment for a Resilient and Low GHG Farm Future, as I said, released on February 23rd. Uh, can you tell us what the report's about? Yeah, super, Derek. So we're really excited about this one. Uh, we're asking the federal government for a $300 million investment in the federal budget that we think will come out in the next month or so. And for $300 million, we're seeking direct support to farmers to help them implement the kinds of practices that I just mentioned. So things like cover cropping, improved nitrogen management, rotational grazing. We're looking for protection of wetlands and trees on agricultural lands and support for an overall energy transition in agriculture. And across all of these supports, what we're really excited about is that we think it can, you know, not only help to scale up the acceptance of climate-friendly farming in Canada across all of our regions, but also it helps to jumpstart our emissions this season. So with $300 million, we think we could reduce our sector's emissions by about 10 megatons, which is about one-seventh of our total emissions in our sector. And the intended audience of the report, you know, is it meant just for the federal government or is it meant for the, the public in general? Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I guess if you're a policy geek, uh, I'd I definitely welcome you to, to read it. I mean, I think from a farmer perspective, I, I think us as farmers, we're always keen to hear about, you know, the impacts of our practices. So there's really interesting kind of tidbits in there about um, these climate friendly farming practices and, and, and how they it's not just, you know, what are the environmental impacts of these practices? We've also done like a cost benefit analysis for farmers of these practices. And in most cases, actually, what we found is that over time, these practices are actually quite cost effective for farmers uh, to implement. But in some cases, it takes about three to five years of ongoing implementation before the farmer actually starts to see kind of the, the private benefits of adopting that practice. And that's one of the key reasons why we're asking for this kind of public support from the government to help us, you know, in that bridge to take on the risk and to help to cover the, up, the upfront costs of these practices, you know, so that our farms are better prepared for the future. And I mean, so, so Derek, I think there's, you know, I think there's great information in there for farmers, uh, but predominantly we're using this as a tool uh, to inform decision makers about you know, what's possible, right? Like what we learned through this report actually is that it's actually quite cost effective for the government to invest in farmers. You know, sometimes I think when we're thinking about climate solutions, we think about like undeveloped, shiny new technologies, but that's really not the case with what we're proposing in this report. It's rather, you know, practices that some farmers are already implementing across Canada. And what we're saying is that this kind of support would help to scale them up. And what I, I mean, we didn't know we would find this, but what we found out is that, you know, when we're talking about dollars spent per ton of emission reduced, 
it's actually quite cheap. So we're talking, you know, about $8 a ton all the way to $80 a ton, which is, you know, much more affordable than some of the other kind of carbon capture technologies that we're hearing about these days too. Hmm. Interesting. Um, with the, uh, the numbers in the report, so it's a $300 million ask or investment into, uh, programs and policies that support climate-friendly agriculture for a reduction of 10 megatons, uh, which like all sounds great to me. I'm just curious, uh, and maybe it's not a fair question to ask either, but like, why not more money? Why not less money? Why not a bigger reduction? Like, I'm just wondering mm -hmm. where those numbers came from or what they're based on. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. And the government's been asking us the same question too. Okay. You know what? Like, Ag policy in Canada almost always goes through the agricultural policy frameworks. So, you know, I'm sure your listeners know about this too, but just quickly, you know, these are those big five-year, $3 billion frameworks. You know, we're in one right now. The next one will come out in 2023. And that's where almost all of our agricultural policy and programs, all the funding is delivered through. So almost never do we see an investment in agriculture through the federal budget. So in order to come up with that $300 million number, what we did was we did an assessment of the past 25 years of federal budgets to figure out, you know, what's the precedent here? And what we found was like a few occasions in which about 100 to $200 million was invested in a federal budget into something food or agriculture related, not at all related to climate or environment. And 300 million is, you know, we're being ambitious. It's, of course, bigger than that. And, and we kind of thought that was the sweet spot, though, because, you know, the other, the other part that we did was we looked around the world to figure out, you know, is Canada leading in terms of investments on a per acre basis in climate friendly farming for farmers? And what we realized is really no. Yeah. So, you know, Canada invests about 70 cents an acre to support farmers and our sector to advance climate-friendly agriculture. Whereas in the U.S., they invest about um, 13 times more per acre. And in the European countries, they're investing about 73 times more. So we're not at all saying that this 300 million bucks will help help us close that gap entirely uh, to, you know, our other kind of international competitors and international markets. But you know, we landed on a number that was a little higher than what we've seen in past federal budgets in agriculture, um, just to really you know, put the emphasis on the need to scale up support for farmers now. Mm, That's actually one thing that really surprised me when I, when you guys broke down, like, what each country uh, was spending on, like, I think it was specifically, like, agro-environmental initiatives. Like, That's it, yeah. I'd assume, yeah, the European Union's way ahead of us because they usually are with like climate and environmental things. But then I was surprised that we were spending less than the U.S., especially after the uh, that thing they had over the last four years with that guy who was punished. Yeah, um, dude, that's it. And I yeah. mean, you've seen Biden come in hard and fast, right? Like he's mm. already talking about climate funding and agriculture. Uh, so I wonder how that's going to change. I think that's a really good point, Derek. Yeah, I'm just curious why Canada, like, we've underspent compared to the U.S. It's just, I, I don't know if there's a specific reason for it. It just kind of worked out that way, or we just take for granted what we have sometimes. I'm not too sure. Uh, one thing I would like to know is, like, uh, how do you find the report's been received? 
What's been really cool is that across the farm sector itself, like we've been engaging with a bunch of different groups across Canada. And, you know, maybe you saw some of the media coverage, maybe you saw some of uh, some farmers across Canada, maybe specifically in Alberta, talking about this work. Um, you know, through all of that, what we've heard from farmers and farm associations is just such positive feedback. You know, we've heard that this is impactful work, that there's a need for this kind of investment for farmers, and just kind of general support for these kinds of ideas, that, it, that it's time, you know, that farmers really do want to be part of the solution, that we're just like still waiting on the right kinds of supports from the federal government. And then from the government side, I mean, as well, it's been really well received. Um, I think the government itself is also looking for ways in which they can help to position farmers for success. Um, you know, we haven't yet had federal policies in which farmers are seen as kind of like critical players in helping Canada meet the Paris Agreement in 2030. Um, and I think there's a lot of appetite now for farmer-led ideas, you know, ideas that are really approachable to farmers that really resonate with farmers. I think there's a big appetite for that in Ottawa. And so the report has been really well received. Yeah. It's mm, great to hear. Um, okay, let's move on to the recommendations. And I, I guess I'm being or playing devil's advocate a little bit with this question, but went over the recommendations and looked at the land management practices and the farm tech that's being promoted. And and you already mentioned this, like none of this is new. Like some a lot of this is already happening. Fair enough, like something like an electric tractor, that's quite marginal at the moment, but like uh, cover cropping or rotational grazing, like definitely not enough people doing that. So I guess my question is, if these practices are already happening on farms and ranches, if some of this technology is already being used, why is it necessary to throw in extra support? Why is $300 million investment necessary for it to really scale out? Like some of these practices are proven, they work. Uh, how come it needs like this cash injection just for it to go, I don't know, gangbusters across the country? Yeah, we'd love it to go viral. I mean, I, I, that's a great question. Like, we know that there's a lot of different kind of barriers that different farmers and different farm operations face in terms of changing practice, right? There's a whole mm -hmm. bunch of risks you take on, your livelihood's on the line. What if you don't get a good harvest uh, at the end of the season? You know, so there's there's risks of economic loss, but then beyond that, there's tons of other risks like or, or barriers, let's put them that way, like beyond economic, right? There's there's cultural ones, there's social ones, there's knowledge ones, you know. Um, but ultimately, what, you know, we're mostly talking about incentives here in this report. And I think it's important to remember that while some farmers are indeed doing these practices and their businesses certainly have not gone under um, they're also able to show over time that these kinds of practices actually like have a positive return on their bottom line. The fact mm -hmm. is, is that changing practice does cost something. So if you're going to implement a cover crop, you got to buy the seed, you got to, you got to put it in the ground. There's a bit of management. So, you know, that costs money and time. If we're thinking about, um, rotational grazing, you know, there's pretty, steep upfront costs associated with fencing and water bowls, these kinds of things, right? Mm. So we think that if we can minimize that upfront financial barrier through, you know, 
programs in which the government's supporting farmers to implement, not paying 100%, but helping the farmer uh, with the upfront costs, we can at least reduce one of the key barriers to scaling up these kinds of practices. And then I think you're right, uh, Derek, like maybe over time, this kind of public funding could get scaled out once these practices are much more widely accepted, sort of normalized, and it's it, it's kind of it, they kind of become more like the, the the standard in farming. And as I mentioned, you know, over time, almost all of these practices actually make um, really good economic sense. Maybe I'll just give one more example, actually, that really sticks in my head. You know, one of our Saskatchewan farmers tells me all the time, like when it comes to improved nitrogen management, he's invested significantly in agronomy services to help him with soil mapping, soil measurements, these kinds of things. And as a result, he's been able to reduce the amount of nitrogen he uses quite substantially, but that amount hasn't covered the difference in the cost of the agronomy services, as in those services are much more expensive than more basic services. And so, you know, just as another example, you know, one of our programs helps to cover the cost of those agronomy services. So it makes a little more sense for farmers to reach out for that expert advice. Hmm. Do you, I'm just, and I'm not sure if you have the answer uh, to this question, so don't feel bad if you don't, but I'm just trying to think of other economic sectors where you see something like that, where like the entrepreneur has to like front the costs of their own knowledge and education, uh, or an example of an economic sector where that doesn't happen. Like, I, I don't know, I guess we're in a way trying to pay for oil and gas workers to transition, I hope, I think, I hope I didn't just make that up, um, but no, maybe yeah, it's your going with this yeah. question. I think I think that's like I think that's the example I would have given, right? Like we talk a lot about what it means to reskill the labor force in the energy sector, you know, and and how do we do that? And that's certainly something that's getting a fair bit of investment, right? So we are seeing, um, you know, a fair bit of investment in businesses in the energy sector as well as in the labor force in the energy sector to. Um, you know, support them to develop new skills, to take on new technologies uh, that are more sustainable, right? That are lower emissions. Mm. And to date, Derek, like we haven't seen that level of investment in farmers and our businesses. So this is where we're, you know, with this kind of investment in the budget, we're trying to fill that gap a little bit. Interesting. Thank you. Um, uh, my favorite recommendation is actually the very last one. I believe it's recommendation number six, uh, celebrating champions. Uh, it, like Rural Roots does it a lot with the work we do. I'm assuming uh, Manitoba Organic Alliance, as well as Grain on the Brain, they probably do it a lot too, because we, we like to celebrate our local heroes. Uh, it's going to perhaps be a bit of a strange question. How does celebrating champions in the egg sector reduce greenhouse gas emissions? Super good question, Derek. And you're right, you guys do it really well. Listen, I mean, I'm sure you say this a lot too, like what we understand is that farmers learn best from other farmers and not just other farmers, but farmers that look like them, farmers that operate businesses that are like their own, you know? And if we look over the fence post and we see a neighbor uh, doing something different, let's say, let's say planting cover crops, at first, the field looks a bit messy. We're maybe we maybe have lots of questions. You know, why do that? What what does it do in terms of um, the impact on your business? Uh, you know, what what sort of inspired you to do that? And then by the end of the season, 
you know, we may have enough information and also enough confidence to then implement it ourselves. So it's like learning through example through our peers, right? And this program, Celebrating Climate Champions, is all about doing that. So, you know, let's reward the early innovators in our sector. So let's reward what we're calling climate champions, you know, farmers who are already implementing some of these practices. Mm. We're thinking about then, you know, it's not just about rewarding them, right? It's about sharing their stories. So we'd love the program to offer, um, you know, opportunities for that farmer to measure impact then like on their farm, but also to then storytell about it, right? To share their story as, as big as they can. So we want to like wrap them up in these big communication campaigns. So, you know, even if it's not your neighbor, who's the climate champion doing it, you can learn about other farmers who look like you, run operations like you, who, um, you know, are doing something maybe a little differently than what you're doing. And you can get the information you need to sort of inspire your own, your own change on your farm. And, uh, you know, how does it reduce emissions, Derek? Well, you know, probably not in the first season, right? But I think it's, I think it's that ripple effect, like um, the the con- kind of confidence it builds in farmers to then um, feel like we too can take that risk of changing our own practice. I think that that is really what's going to transform the sector over time, where it's mm-hmm. sort of a new normal in a climate changing world. I don't think you're right. I've probably said this on our podcast too often, but you, you really can't underestimate the power of a good story. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there was one uh, guy up in the peace country, so northern Alberta. Uh, he was talking about when he transitioned to uh, regenerative agriculture. He was saying, like, listen, when you make changes or you do something different on your farm, everybody's going to think you're the village idiot for the first two years and you just accept that. And after that, everything will be okay. So it'd be nice if we could skip like the I'm the village idiot phase and just go straight to like, you're doing these really great things for people and the planet. That's right. We need like that, that sign in the, in the field, right? Climate champion, not village idiot. I think Mm. think that's a different kind of message. (laughs) Totally agree. Yeah. Um, One thing I don't know if we've mentioned yet and i definitely know i haven't asked uh, the delivery mechanism for these recommendations and the 300 million dollars is it all going to be through cap or is it sort of like a bundling a few programs together yeah no uh, good question derek i actually don't think that we or the government are seeing this as delivered through the cap like through the current apf the current ag policy framework okay i think this would be who knows? But I don't think that there's necessarily potential to put these programs into already existing programs. Um, likely, it's a brand new investment and that several of these programs would be implemented through third parties. So I think that might look different across the country. Um, of course, we're still in the phase of like uh, a- a- advancing the request for the money. Uh, so we're not thinking too, too much yet on implementation, but we have had some interesting conversations with some folks across the sector about, you know, how some of these programs could roll out through, um, you know, already existing associations or organizations, institutions uh, quickly. Cool. Okay. I was just curious if like we ever get the question from uh, producers, but like what cap program they would need to uh, apply to for support in pursuing climate friendly agriculture. Uh, if it's like I it just direct them to the environmental stewardship and climate change program, which 
kind of makes sense in my head, but yeah, maybe there's there'll be other ways to do it as well. That's a good point. Who knows? If you got to name it, what would you call it, Derek? <laughs> Obviously the Rural Roots program, but hey, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, hmm. I'm still going to ask this question, although I feel like we're going to have the answer to it by the time this podcast episode is released. Uh, when do you expect us to find out if the federal government is going to roll with your recommendations? I, in the in the history of Canada, I think we've always seen federal budgets being announced in March. But as everybody knows, this is a strange year. You know, we didn't even get a federal budget last year as a result of the pandemic. So uh, there's a chance they're a bit delayed. Um, but we may, we can maybe maybe anticipate hearing about the budget uh, at the end of March or maybe around mid-April, something like that. Okay. I feel a little bad asking this question because I know you've been working really, really hard on this, but are you hopeful? Are you optimistic? No, I, I, I am feeling optimistic, Derek. And and I think we should, as I say, like, I think the farmer-led ideas are really resonating in Ottawa. Um, it As I say, it's getting a fair bit of traction across the sector. Um there's no reason to to not be hopeful. And I think we have to be hopeful in this kind of work. <laughs> Otherwise, it's just overwhelming. So <laughs> so cross your fingers for us too, Derek, okay? Doing it. And my toes. Good. Okay. Uh, now, like, you've been working in this policy world for a decent amount of time. And I thought it might be a good question to ask. Why does climate policy and agriculture need to be more or need to be about more than just reducing greenhouse gas emissions? mitigating emissions is so key, like, especially for farmers, right? Our sector is really very much on the front lines of increasingly severe farm impacts. Like in 2018, we lost $2 billion in farm damages as a result of severe floods and droughts directly linked to climate impacts. So, um, you know, there's a role for all of us to play in reducing emissions and farmers in some ways have a big stake in that because as I say, you know, climate impacts are, are making it harder and harder to produce, you know, livelihoods on the land and reliable harvest year after year. Um, but the other side of that is like, is building resilience, right? So um, severe droughts, floods, you know, these pests, different kinds of pest problems, you know, these kinds of things are, impacting us now already and and they're going to continue to impact uh our farms um until we can get you know emissions more under control what i love about the kinds of proposals we're advancing these days derek is that in a in a big way it's not all about reducing emissions you know all of these practices have significant other co-benefits you know when it comes to water management and water quality and biodiversity soil health you know all really important uh, things that farmers can provide as really awesome stewards of the land. So um, I think that's it. You know, climate policy shouldn't just be so narrowly focused on reducing emissions. Well, that needs to be obviously like a key objective. Um, Some farmers may kind of buy into these practices a bit more because of those other benefits that I talked about too. Mm. Do you find it's that that's what makes the agriculture sector unique? Because uh, like I bring this up in presentations that uh, with most economic sectors, there seems to be like a straight up 
technology switch. So like we have electricity that's powered by fossil fuels. We just need to swap it over to renewable energy and then done there. I, it, it's obviously not that simple, but I'm just simplifying for this. But then when I think of agriculture is like, you don't have that quick tech switch like that. Like just cause agriculture is like connected to biodiversity is uh, connected to obviously people's incomes. It's connected to health, nutrition, and in some cases, culture too. So I'm just wondering if, yeah, if you find that kind of, and I'm not too sure if you've done work in other economic sectors, but if, if that's something that makes agriculture unique when it comes to climate policy, that it, it can't just be about reducing emissions. It needs to be about that and so many more things. Oh, totally. Totally. I think you're so right, Derek. And I mean, maybe just even to add to that, like, if if we don't build resilience, you know, what does that mean for food security too? So, mm. I mean, I think, I think you're really onto something here. And I mean, I think another part of that conversation too, is like the, maybe the soil sequestration side too, right? There's, there's a real kind of power in our soils and in our plants to even, well, help our own sector, but also you know, help the planet more broadly. So I, I think that's a that's also kind of a neat side of agriculture is like, you know, when we're thinking about improved nitrogen management, for instance, like that that is a lot about reducing nitrous oxide, which is, you know, 300 times more potent in terms of a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. Mm. Um, but it's also about, you know, improving nitrogen management it means, you know, paying a bit more, more attention to the nitrogen available in your soil. You know, how do we build that? How do we build soil health? And, and, and that, you know, has a direct relation to carbon in our soils too, and resilience building, water management, all those great things. So you're so right, Derek, it's like a complex web. Um, I think we could put food and farming at the heart of everything in some ways. Mm, no, I totally agree. Um, so you've been in your role as director of farmers for climate solutions for almost a year now, right? Let's just say about a year. Yeah. Something like that. Okay, cool. And, uh, you're doing an awesome job and I, I do fear for your well-being sometimes because your work is so damn hard. Uh, <laughs> but I, I am curious, what have you learned about agriculture producers in Canada through this work? Wow. Good question. You could drill it down to Manitoba if you want, because technically this is going to be listened to by a lot of people in Manitoba. No, but listen, like, like, don't you dare bucket farmers into one bucket, right? We're all so <laughs> different. Farm operations are so different. Regions are so different. Scales, types, you know, like that's perhaps one of the most important learnings is like when we're talking about climate solutions in other sectors, as you say, like, maybe it's just about like, uh, I don't know, moving to solar or wind, let's say when it comes to energy, right. Mm -hmm. But in farming, that is so not the case. So, you know, it's about having a suite of options that can resonate with all of that diversity, right. I think that's uh, one important point that I've learned. I mean, another is, you know, the kinds of barriers farmers face, uh, you know, young and new entrants probably have additional barriers than other farmers. So I think there's like, um, again, it kind of speaks to the, the diversity within our sector and the need for different kinds of solutions and different kinds of, of policies, right? Like policies by their very nature sort of try to bucket people, right? We like, you know, with one kind of blunt instrument, we try to encourage increased adoption, let's just say, for example, 
through one kind of mechanism, but it's never sort of one size fits all in agriculture. So I think that's like, it makes our work really challenging, but also, I mean, to me speaks to the kind of amount of potential. Um, and maybe really positively, like the other thing that I've learned is like, I think climate change remains kind of quite a polarizing, or maybe I'll say climate change policy remains quite a kind of a polarizing component or element of our sector. Um, but I'm realizing through our work is that, you know, when we present first, when we, when like our ideas are led by farmers and we engage with a whole bunch of farmers to come to them, uh, what I'm realizing is that when we present solutions um, in ways that don't just make environmental sense, but also in ways that make economic sense for farmers, mm -hmm. a like it tends to resonate, you know, folks then all of a sudden get on the same page and that kind of polarization around like the need for climate action in our sector kind of diminishes. And all of a sudden there's like this sense of sort of empowerment, like, ah, yeah, okay, I can do that too. Like I want to be part of the solution, which is, mm -hmm. I think, you know, yeah, I think that's the common sentiment. So that's been like a really beautiful learning, I think, over the past year. So simple too, eh? Just the, just a slight tweak in how you talk about climate, and you can get so many so many more people on board. This episode was hosted by Derek Leahy from the Rural Roots to Climate Solutions. It was produced by Karen Clausen and edited by Jason Peters from the Manitoba Organic Alliance. We've put a link on our website to the recent Farmers for Climate Solutions report and how you can get involved. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and share it with your friends. See you next time.